Tonight, a terrifying outburst in a small BC town and the bad behavior goes viral. Plus, we have multiple instances of, of children being threatened. Frustrated at a growing homeless camp, how the neighborhood is now going over the city's head. And at least two people are killed when a massive tornado touches down in Manitoba. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with a shocking tirade caught on camera in the BC interior. Another restaurant customer behaving very badly during the COVID crisis. And a warning some of you may find this footage disturbing. An hour ago, are you making my food? Why do you even take orders? You can't make them and make those food! I don't care anymore! I gotta go feed my two-year-old! Staff at Chinese Garden Restaurant at Blind Bay near Sorrento were on the receiving end of this angry rant. The man lost it over the wait time for his order on a busy Friday night. The person who shot the video described his behavior as disgusting and says the restaurant is a local gem in the shoe swap. Even TMZ picked up the story, writing, if people are losing it in Canada... We're in big trouble. RCMP say they spoke with the complainant and reviewed the video, but found no evidence of, cri of a criminal offense. A Yaletown restaurant and a lounge have been added to Vancouver's coastal, Vancouver Coastal Health's list of potential COVID-19 exposures. Anyone who visited West Oak Restaurant at 1035 Mainland Street or Pierre's Champagne Lounge at 1028 Hamilton Street between July 31st and August 3rd is advised to monitor themselves for two weeks. The lounge is a separate space at the back of the restaurant. The possible exposures occurred during the evening and late night hours. PM Entertainment, which owns Pierre's and West Oak, says it decided to close both venues immediately as a precaution. West Oak has since reopened. Just over the long weekend, we did have two patrons who visited Pierre's. Um, they have tested positive um, with COVID. Um, Vancouver Coastal Health is just being extra careful and including West Oak just because we do have a door between the both of them. So it's a possible customers have been back and forth. Homicide investigators are on the scene of an early morning house fire in Mission. Flames broke out at around two o'clock in a wood frame building on the rural property on Gunn Avenue. The blaze is considered suspicious and I hit was called in. RCMP vehicles are stationed at the entrance to the property as investigators look for clues as to what happened. It's unclear if any fatalities are linked to the fire or if events that occurred prior to the flames breaking out. Neighbors of a homeless camp in an East Vancouver park are frustrated, saying their pleas are falling on deaf ears. The province says it's working to address their concerns, but another downtown Eastside park is still off limits three months after an entrenched encampment was cleared. Kristen Robinson reports. Kids play at Strathcona Park as tents encroach on their green space in an area some say is increasingly under attack. I just continue to see it escalate, so we're very concerned and, and we, we need something to happen now. I'll stab you, buddy, so quick. Last month, the city councillor threatened. Now locals say no one's safe. Dog walkers have been threatened with knives. A man threatened to pull a 9 millimeter on a local resident who asked him to move along because he was shouting at children. 
while police calls to the neighborhood are down, the VPD ramping up patrols around the park, where calls are up 140% this June and July, over the same time in 2019. Vancouver fire calls also up from 11 last year to 29 so far this year. There's disorder. There's no doubt about it. BC's Social Development and Poverty Reduction Minister says the province is working to discern who's camping here and who's just visiting. Who are the predators? Who are the people who are a challenge and a risk to both the campers and to the people in Strathcona? The first of two BC navigation centres, like this one in San Francisco, expected to open in Vancouver next spring, with 60 beds and 24-7 support for people experiencing homelessness. There is no quick fix. There is no magic bullet for this. It's been three months since Oppenheimer's tent city was cleared. About 80% of 261 campers who moved are still in temporary supportive or more permanent housing. 20% have moved out, evicted for breaking the rules or losing their beds after not returning. Oppenheimer remains closed. The park board says remediation work continues and a reopen date is still in the works with staff engaging with partners to plan for a smooth transition. There is a war going on between the government um, and between homeless activists. And the Strathcona community, uh, unfortunately, is the collateral damage in this. While the province purchased hotels to help house Oppenheimer's homeless, hundreds of tents have since popped up at Strathcona. And Shane Simpson says the feds need to help. We're not going to buy our way out of this, and it's not going to be a quick fix to address homelessness. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The level of violence Vancouver police are dealing with appears to be escalating in light of another scary incident on the downtown east side. Deputy Chief Howard Chow tweeted that at around 7 o'clock Wednesday night, officers were called to Columbia and Kiefer streets after reports of a victim who was bear sprayed and struck several times with a hatchet. The man was arrested 10 minutes later, but during the arrest, one officer was punched and a second was body slammed to the sidewalk. Chow tweets this behavior is not okay. Many restaurants have struggled during COVID, and in South Surrey, that struggle has been made even harder. At least two businesses have been targeted by a thief, and as Julia Foy reports, the possible repeat offender has been caught on camera. At the Afghan Kitchen restaurant in South Surrey, everyone in their Sawari family worked together, from gardening to creating authentic Afghan cuisine. Mum's the chef. Uh, she makes all the food for us, so it's a very home style of Afghan food. But while their customer base keeps growing, one woman has become a pest. She's not stopping for a food pickup, she's here for a flower heist. It was quite uh, actually surprising to see um, somebody dressed so nicely and coming out uh, in the middle of the night to steal plants. Sarwari says the same woman has been seen ripping off the blooming plants three times this summer. It was unfortunate and very, very disappointing that we have to be dealing with this uh, issue at this time. The family did report the thefts to Surrey RCMP, but it wasn't until this video was posted on social media that they found out a neighbouring business was also losing their favourite flowers. Kathy Steele owns Wild Birds Unlimited and is well known for her bright flower displays. We had it filled with red petunias, all kinds of lobelia. It was a lovely basket. But on July 25th, in the middle of the night, a woman with a shopping cart raided the planter. She cleaned the whole thing out, didn't leave a thing. Yeah, it's a shame. 
Both Steele and Sowari hope someone in the community will be able to identify the flower napper. You know, we try to take care of our stores, and especially right now, it's, it's, uh, it's stressful for everybody. And then to have somebody take your plants, that is pretty tacky. Julia Foy, Global News. A shocking case of animal neglect in Richmond. The SPCA has moved in and seized 10 animals, eight cats and two dogs from a home on Williams Road. The owners had left the country before the pandemic hit and handed their pets into the care of friends or family. Well, the home is said to have been a mess with animal feces everywhere. The six cats, two kittens and two small poodle-like dogs have been taken to the Richmond Animal Shelter. Other than fleas and matted fur on the dogs, the animals are said to be in relatively good health. A crow has been taken in by the Wildlife Rescue Association of BC in Burnaby, but this one is different. Have a look. This is a rare albino northwestern crow. The bird needing medical attention was brought in by a good Samaritan from North Vancouver. The orphaned fledgling had some minor injuries, was underweight and dehydrated. The bird's rare genetic mutation also makes him vulnerable to predators. He stands out from the crow crowd. The organization is working to raise funds for its care. Despite all legal hurdles being cleared, environmentalists are continuing their fight against the Trans Mountain Pipeline project. That includes a professor who's into his sixth day of living in a tree along the route. As Nadia Stewart reports, the protesters say the next few weeks are key in their battle. I worked really hard within the system to stop it, and I got to the end of my rope. For the past six days, Vancouver doctor Tim Takaro has been living amongst the trees in a forested area near North Road in Burnaby, right in the path of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. They've already lost a week, a little more than a week now of their construction schedule. That is the goal of this protest, to delay the project, if not try and halt it altogether, by keeping crews from clearing out the trees in this area. Trans Mountain needs to cut uh, in a six-week window running from August 1st until September 15th. If they aren't able to cut those trees down during that time, um, they have said that this project could be delayed by uh, up to a year. Advocates are bringing over 200 local residents through the area as part of tours to help them better understand what they have now. They say eight species are at risk here. As Squamish Nation, we call it the Utsam or the Witness Program, uh, Witness Project, and it's we bring people in to see firsthand how we lose, how we can lose the beauty that we have here in this absolutely amazing Salmon River and uh, what we can actually lose with uh, Trans Mountain going ahead. Last month, the Supreme Court of Canada dismissed a challenge by a collective of First Nations. 120 of 129 First Nations affected by the project either approve or do not object to it. The nations opposed to it vow to keep fighting. But those here wonder whether the Prime Minister is listening. With the Trans Mountain Pipeline that, that uh, Justin Trudeau wants to push through, the, the more people hear about it, the, the less they like it. The peril of me, uh, you know, sitting in the street and blocking construction is so minuscule compared to the peril that Trudeau is bringing down on the planet. Dr. Takaro says he's prepared to stay up here for as long as necessary. In fact, he says he thought he would have been arrested by now. Nadia Stork, Global News. We have a happy update for you. It appears a Vancouver baby in need of the most expensive medication in the world 
will get the treatment she requires. And the father of baby Lucy has written on a fundraising page that his daughter will receive the $2.8 million drug Zolgensma. It will likely happen in early September. He says right now their focus is on preparing Lucy for the treatment. The family started a GoFundMe page in May. More than $2.4 million has been raised to date. Lucy was diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy shortly after she was born. Without the life saving drug, she may not live past her second birthday. Dozens of British Columbians have fallen ill to salmonella from red onions imported from the U.S. The B.C. Center for Disease Control says since mid-June, 69 cases have been reported. An investigation has revealed the cases are linked to Thompson International of Bakersfield, California. Any onion, including white, yellow, or sweet from that company, should not be consumed, sold, or served. The BC CDC says there is no evidence to suggest onions grown in Canada are associated with this outbreak. It's harvest time in the Okanagan, but many orchardists and farmers are having a tough time finding enough workers to bring in the crops. As Darian Matassafung reports, the pandemic is a big part of the problem. There's a real shortage of labour. The Okanagan agriculture industry, especially orchards and farms, is struggling to find enough workers to harvest their crops. There's usually about 10,000 individuals that come from uh, Mexico or the Caribbean to come pick fruit. And uh, this year, because of COVID, less flights, um, uh, the visa restrictions and everything else that goes along with it, uh, we're probably going to see a 30% decline. COVID-19 has severely impacted the agricultural industry to the point where growers aren't able to harvest all of their crops. There's farmers out there that are uh, looking at their crop and, you know, trying to just harvest what they can and uh, the rest is just being left on the trees. Lolly says COVID-19 restrictions and regulations have slowed the whole process down, starting with the mandatory 14-day isolation period imposed when workers do arrive. There's way too many restrictions that are being put on uh, the farmers uh, regarding housing and everything else that goes along with it. Uh, because of social distancing rules, just like you're standing six feet apart from me, um, you know, there's going to be productivity issues at the farm level. One local Okanagan grower, Arshdeep Dollywal, says his orchard in Lake Country has definitely felt the effects. It's become very apparent this year. We, we usually get a lot of local labor as well, people from Quebec. We get a lot of students. They come down here for cherry picking and other forms of work. This year, due to COVID, we've had a hard time finding labor. Dolly Wall says with the shortage of workers, the timing of the season has been thrown off. With the shortage of workers, what we found is that picking has been extended, and uh, a lot of the varieties, by extending them out, they start losing their integrity, food starts to soften, and then sometimes it gets to the point where it's just too far gone that there's no point of picking it anymore. To help with the shortage of workers, the Ministry of Agriculture has created a new web portal to fast-track hirings. It's called the Farm, Fish and Food Job Connector. Dolly Wall and Lolly are calling upon British Columbians to help out the industry. They are saying if locals cannot help with labour, they can at least buy more locally grown products. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. Tractor pulls are a regular feature in many parts of rural Canada during the summer and like so many other events, that has changed this year. But as Paul Johnson reports, some farmers in Langley aren't letting COVID-19 slow them down. In case you've not seen this, behold, the tractor pull. To move this heavy sled down the track as far as you can. 
In the world of competitive pursuits, it's exactly as advertised. This was a special competition at a Langley Dairy Farm Saturday. Two full poles and one just about made it. Leo Schnur was once reigning champion on the local circuit for five straight years, though he admits he's slipping a bit. In the last three years, I've been going downhill. I've washed up. In a normal summer, antique tractor drivers would compete at country fairs throughout the Fraser Valley. But the pandemic shut them all down. Eagle Acres Dairy had figured out a way to have people drive onto the property and keep social distance. So they organized an event here. This is a 1956 Alice Chalmers. Daryl Reimer's a teacher in Vancouver. The old tractors remind him of growing up on a farm in Manitoba. My dad sold the farm before I was old enough to really take it over. And I still had that farm genetics in me, I guess. These new tractors are obviously totally different from the old tractors. This one belongs to Brian. He owns the farm. It has air conditioning, Bluetooth, GPS. It's way more powerful, and they don't allow it in the competition. In fact, all of the tractors competing here have to be built before 1960, making Leo Schnur age 83 the only driver today who's older than his tractor. I'm too old to be doing this. Though Schnur says he still takes pleasure in showing up some of the younger guys who don't have the same eye for the dirt. And with age, he's willing to share the secret of his success and longevity. I have a great wife. And that would be the correct answer. In Langley, Paul Johnson, Global News. Almost like being there, the pandemic means the annual Abbotsford International Air Show has gone virtual this year. Instead of hot tarmac packed with crowds, aviation fans can watch the stunts and aerial acrobatics live stream from the comfort of their own homes. Wow, a terrifying tornado in southwestern Manitoba last night. Storm chasers captured this video. Emergency crews say those powerful winds lifted vehicles right off the road and tossed them like toys into a nearby field. RCMP now say at least two people were killed. The victims were driving when the storm struck and they were thrown out of their vehicle. It touched down at around 8 o'clock last night in this rural community just south of the town of Verdon near Brandon. Global's Joe Scarapelli is there and has the latest. It's been described as scary and devastating. Footage captured Friday night shows this twister touching down in western Manitoba, just outside Verdon, where Tammy Skelton lives. I'm looking at this thing going, go away, go away, get out of my yard. When it did leave her yard, she says she followed, and watching the destruction it was leaving behind, she dialed 911. The lady, all I can hear her saying is, please slow down, please slow down, I can't tell what you're saying. During that call, she says the twister flipped two vehicles in front of her. One man was trapped in an SUV. He was honking the horn, trying to alert help, trying to get someone to come and get him. They couldn't get to him because the hydro lines were down. The 54-year-old was taken to hospital with serious injuries. Two people were in the second vehicle. Police say they were thrown when the tornado hit. After a bit, they um, started CPR on the second person and... Very unfortunate. The 18-year-olds were pronounced dead at the scene. Just across the street from this farm property, one of the hardest hit areas, 
dozens of volunteers now helping to clean up. It's quite bad. We got big trees down. We got bins down. Basically decimated. There's not much left. As pictures and videos of the tornado circulate online, the town's mayor is warning residents to stay back should another powerful storm emerge. A tornado, don't fool around with them. One minute it can be going that way, and the next minute it can take you right with it. Joel Scarpelli, Global News. Thousands of frustrated protesters have taken to the streets of central Beirut. They blame the country's leaders for Tuesday's deadly explosion, and they're demanding justice. International aid is now being rushed into Lebanon, including from Canada. But as Mike Drolet explains, Ottawa is not giving the money to the Lebanese government. Days after an explosion shook Beirut, protesters took to the streets to vent their anger. Police shot tear gas into large crowds trying to get to the parliament buildings. Undaunted, the protesters broke into the foreign ministry, where they symbolically burned a picture of Lebanese President Michel Leon. This woman said they'll never forgive the government for their negligence. It was last Tuesday that a warehouse filled with ammonium nitrate blew up. Ayon has rejected calls for an international investigation, saying Lebanon would handle the matter itself. Canadian officials were careful with their words, but their actions spoke volumes. No money will be sent to the Lebanese government. Instead, aid will be funneled to organizations Canada trusts. And what we are focused on right now is responding to the emergency at hand. Lebanese Canadians have opted for a similar approach. A group of labor organizers are encouraging people to donate to specific charities like the Red Cross with proven track records. Essentially bypassing the state because you really don't want to give legitimacy to a lot of these state actors and politicians in Lebanon that have no legitimacy. And that perception is not only fueling the bitterness within Lebanon, it could impact how fast aid gets delivered to those who need it. And unfortunately, this is something that aid agencies tend to deal with in, in many countries around the world. I think the existing relationships we have with communities and these local civil society groups will play a critical, a critical um, role in this. With the government hanging on by a thread, it will have to. Mike Drolet, Global News, Toronto. You just be careful. You can't, you can't not live life. The 80th annual Sturgis Motorcycle Rally is underway in South Dakota, where you'd never know there's a pandemic. Hundreds of thousands of bikers are expected to attend, most not wearing masks. The massive gathering raises concerns this year's rally could spread the virus. In South Dakota, there are no limits on indoor crowds and no mandates about wearing masks. Many residents wanted it banned, but the Republican governor has taken a hands-off approach to the pandemic and supports Ports holding the rally. In Health Matters tonight, in the race to produce a safe and effective COVID-19 vaccine, there's a push to radically change the way human trials are conducted, making them faster and some scientists say more effective. But with potential rewards come great risks. Scientists at the University of Oxford developing one of the most promising vaccine candidates so far tonight are calling for challenge trials. That is, vaccinating volunteers and then deliberately infecting them with coronavirus. Yes, I'm confident it will be approved. Yes. Adrian Hill leads the Oxford research team and supports challenge trials. A lot of people feel very passionately that they should be and that the tiny risk is uh, worth it for the benefit of developing a vaccine 
or a drug faster. Currently, COVID vaccine trials work like this. Large numbers of volunteers, a thousand or tens of thousands, are broken into two groups. One gets a placebo or a harmless drug. The other gets the experimental vaccine. Both groups are then told to live normally. The problem is it's slow and only a few volunteers may come into contact with the virus to see if the vaccine really works. In a challenge trial, all the volunteers are given the vaccine and all are infected with the coronavirus, which they'd inhale to simulate natural contagion. It means, some scientists say, a far smaller group can quickly determine if a vaccine stops COVID-19 or not. We can do a challenge trial with 40 people and get a very informative result on whether a vaccine is working. But there's a big ethical hurdle, since researchers would be giving volunteers a pathogen for which there is no proven treatment or cure. Sophie Rose is from One Day Sooner, a group gathering volunteers. Is anyone signing up to do this? Raising their hand, say, sure, infect yeah, me over, with, with coronavirus. Over 30,000 people from 150 countries. What happens if somebody dies in this trial? When these sorts of trials are designed and you're consenting people and explaining how this works, uh, it, they are definitely informed and it is acknowledged that there is a risk of death. Challenge trial participants would be quarantined. Many have compared the fight against this pandemic to a war. And like in a war, there are risks and those willing to accept them, hopefully for the greater good. Richard Engel, NBC News, London. Russia is planning to conduct mass vaccinations as early as October without completing clinical trials. Scientists say the rush could backfire and cost lives with people thinking they're safe and protected when they may not be. In April, President Vladimir Putin ordered state officials to shorten the time of clinical trials for a variety of drugs, including potential coronavirus vaccines. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The Yukon man who is spreading a little happiness here in B.C., what he plans to do every day of the pandemic right after Yvonne's forecast. And Yvonne, everyone's talking about that Manitoba tornado. Do we know how strong it was? Well, Colleen, that's the one of the questions Environment Canada is trying to answer. So the intensity measured on what's called the enhanced fajita scale. Um, Canada has only ever recorded one tornado that reaches an EF5 status, the most powerful ever, and was also in Manitoba. They're still combing through the damage to determine a rating and the results of those findings, and they'll come out within the next few days in a public weather summary, so we'll stay tuned to see at where that rates. All right, it was a very different weather picture for us here at home. We had a, a cloud cover this morning with a few isolated showers, some nice breaks out there, and temperatures are going to warm up, especially tomorrow and leading in towards our Monday. Those numbers in just a moment. Here's a quick glance at what we did see for today. Low 20s for most areas, closer to the water and stretching in towards the interior soils today, warming up to 28 degrees across the central interior, Prince George bumping up to 18. Now, most areas for the southern half of the province, it does remain dry. There is a bit of cloud cover rolling in overnight and for the early morning hours. And this is the next weather system that is going to push in across the province. Now, the timeline, the moisture is going to move in overnight through the morning hours. Heavy at times, the rain will be along the north and central coast. And this same system is going to push in across the central interior, bringing an increase in cloud cover and a chance of showers as early as the afternoon. 
Towards the south of it, though, it should still remain dry for tomorrow. Overnight tonight, we're down to 13 degrees, so there is some cloud cover for the early morning hours, a clearing for the afternoon. Highs tomorrow, 21 degrees, away from the water, up to 24, and with the humid exit, it'll feel closer to 26, so a warm one in store. The hottest temperatures will be for Sunday, Monday. As we look ahead on the upper level chart, leading in towards our Wednesday, a change is on the way. We do have more cloud cover and temperatures are going to cool off for many areas across the province, but still warm and sunny leading into early next week. And then on Wednesday, Thursday, a bit of a change on the way. The northern half of the province, it is going to be windy for areas that are closer to the water. Rain and heavy at times with temperatures up to 14 degrees. The northeastern corners of the province for Fort Nelson up to 24. All areas across the central interior, a nice bright and dry start but we are going to see that increase in cloud cover chance of showers for the afternoon now towards the south of it sunny warming up tomorrow highs up to 28 degrees for areas near Kamloops pushing close to 30 degrees for Castlegar and areas near Cranbrook for the southeastern corners it's sunny and hot with highs up to 25 degrees the south coast for tomorrow so we are going to see a bit of cloud just for the morning hours it warms up especially for areas that are away from the water we will feel it with the humidex up to 26 degrees and even warmer into Monday, highs up to 27 degrees, and that'll be away from the water. Monday, Tuesday, fantastic. Plenty of sunshine. Bit of a change on the way will be for Wednesday. Should remain dry through the day. That's the good news, but the chance of showers moves in towards the evening. Unsettled with a blip in the forecast on our Thursday. For tomorrow, though, fantastic. And then warm and sunny into our Monday. Colleen? Loving it. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Listen, if you need a little positivity, the white horseman known for spreading his love of Bangra is in B.C. this weekend. This morning, Gertie Pander asked a downtown Victoria street guitarist to try to match the tempo with his music. Yesterday, the dance teacher tweeted this video from the B.C. legislature lawn telling his 18,000 followers he's on Vancouver Island for the next 10 days. Pander, who learned to dance Bhangra in the Punjab, moved to the Yukon in 2012. He has committed to dancing every single day through the pandemic. And his Yukon cabin Bhangra videos, well, you can guess, they have gone viral. It's joyful. It makes you want to dance. It totally. does look like uh, the sports department a lot on Friday afternoons okay. when there's yeah. a lot of games going. <laughs> Squire kind of leads the way. Very, especially especially very when the Canucks are familiar. winning. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Canuck fans dancing uh, these days. What can you say? Hockey in August agrees with this team. Uh, very exciting, dramatic win. Uh, last night, obviously, in overtime when Chris Tanev scored just 11 seconds in. But it's kind of the, the way they did it. You know, they fell behind. Markstrom played horribly, but they, you know, they, they got his back and they, they responded. So a lot of really positive signs for the Canucks. So we'll take a look back at that. When you win like that, you can't look back enough at, at those exciting moments. Agreed. So we'll, we'll. The pandemic has spurred the need for no contact and touchless technology to prevent the spread of this potentially deadly virus. You're about to see the latest nifty tech that could help keep you safe. And there's a good chance it's here to stay. Amidst a global pandemic, new technology has emerged to help minimize crowds, shared surfaces, and person-to-person contact. It's making a, a good thing out of a bad situation in that it's driving these, these companies to be more innovative. At some airports, new cameras automate temperature checks. Uh, estimated temperature uh, appears over the person's head. At Hilton Hotels, your phone can replace the check-in desk and the key. So then I tap it to unlock it. 
and then the door seal breaks. Embassy Suites is utilizing robots to deliver room service. But if you have to go out, an app called Minfo aims to turn everything touchless, from shopping to ordering and paying at a restaurant. And forget old-fashioned soda machines, Bevy makes a touchless beverage dispenser that connects to your phone. You're not touching anything in the store other than your cup that you have. In the socially distant sport of golf, some courses are even adding touchless ball retrieval. Some elevators now let you skip the grimy buttons to navigate floors on your phone. What if you could touch control all kinds of screens using a single device? And with a motion sensor from Glamos, you can make a virtual touchscreen anywhere. It creates a, an invisible screen that you can use to do gestures on. Technology to make everyday activities safer and more hands-free. Liz McLaughlin, NBC News. Barry's here with sports and Barry, a bit of a celebration last night as we're about to see. Pretty happy team. Yeah, there ain't nothing quite like live, uh, winning. And I like to see them celebrate. You know, in the NHL, a lot of times, you know, no one wants to celebrate before they win the cup. But, hey, celebrate. In baseball, they do it after every round. They champagne spray in the dressing room. These guys are young and excited. Hey, express yourself. And uh, they're, they're very excited. I think that's part of what makes them successful. So nice to get a little bit of inside footage courtesy of Canucks. And hopefully there's a lot more of that to come uh, in the weeks to come. Thanks, Colleen. The uh, Canucks are taking a well-deserved day off after all of that. They will find out tomorrow afternoon who they will play in the first round of the Western Conference quarterfinals. It'll either be the Blues or Stars. Dallas and St. Louis meet at noon Sunday. Whoever loses, that will be the Canucks' opponent. In the meantime, some rest and maybe relive the exciting finish to their last series that has them and Canuck Nation thinking this could be the start of something good. Around the boards and Nico Sturm out there to start. Kid clear. Scores! Chris Tanev from the point has a series winner for Vancouver. It was only fitting one of the two guys who were part of the Canucks' last playoff series win in 2011 would be the one who got them into the final 16 this time. Chris Tanev, along with Alex Edler, are the last of the old guard on this budding group of Canucks. And victory after such a long drought was particularly sweet. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's uh, obviously the last few years have been tough. Um, haven't won much lately, and it's, uh, it, it, as I said before, it's fun to win. Um, we have a great group of guys here, and um, we're, we're all enjoying every minute right now. Tanev's partner, Quinn Hughes, took control of this series the last couple of games especially, putting up five points and leading the Canucks' offensive charge. The fact he's only 20 makes the Canucks and their fans only dream what's ahead for this budding superstar. You guys all know how good he is. He's he's going to be the best defenseman in the league if, if he's not there next year or, or the year after. He's going to be there soon. I mean, he's... The way he skates, the way he moves the puck, he, he's, he's a special player and um, he's going to be, as I said, best player, best player around for a long time coming and it's, we're happy he's on our team. The Canucks also bailed out their goalie in Game 4. Jacob Markstrom led in three soft goals, and those usually sink teams at playoff time, but they clawed back and paid back Markstrom for all those nights he was the only reason they won the game. He didn't have his best night. He knows that. We laughed about it after the game, and 
I actually said to him, it's about time the team, you know, put you on their back. And uh, again, that's the resiliency in our group right now, the way they feel. And I'm happy for all of them. I'm happy for Marky. He didn't have a great night, and he still gets a way to, to win and get into the playoffs. Now it's on to the Western quarterfinals where the Canucks will meet either Dallas or St. Louis in the first round. They'll find out who it'll be Sunday afternoon and then see if they can keep this bubble hockey magic going. We wanted to come out and prove ourselves and play hard. We've got a great uh, great group of guys here and to finally get a, a win under our belt and win a playoff series, it, uh, you know, it's definitely, it feels great, but we got a lot more work to do. Um, you know, this is just the, the first series of, series of many and um, we can't wait for the next one. All right, NHL today, Vegas and Colorado. Winner gets the top seed in the West. Third period tied at two. Jonathan Marcheseau awarded a penalty shot. Skates in slowly and then will rip it, posting in. Great shot, and the Golden Knights have the lead 3-2. Now with a minute to go, Avalanche with the extra attacker all over the Vegas goal, and they cash in. JT Comfer jams in the loose puck, and we are headed to overtime, tied at three. Final moments of OT, Golden Knights on the attack. It's Alex Tuck who rips it top shelf past Philip Grubauer. Golden Knights get the top seed. They'll meet Chicago in the first round. Avalanche finish second. They'll get Arizona in the opening best of seven. In the East, Flyers in Tampa also playing for the top seed. Winner of this game gets Montreal in the first round. First period already up 1-0. Nicholas Obey-Kubel from Slave Lake, Alberta. Only 45 NHL games played. That's a second of the game. Have uh, Flyers lead 2-0. They're playing real well right now. Lightning, though, get one back in the second. Tyler Johnson on the power play. That made it 2-1. Tampa has lost uh, Victor Hedman, their big defenseman, to injury, but it is now 2-1 in the second. The winner, as mentioned, gets the Habs in the first round. Third round of the PGA Championship from San Francisco. Tiger Woods has won this major four times. He will not make it number five this weekend. Tiger had a strong uh, birdie at 16, a strong finish. Birdied the 16th, then at 18, a fantastic approach from 208 yards out to five feet. Made that for birdie, but Tiger is well back at plus two, tied for 59th place. Bryson DeChambeau, we know he can bomb his driver 370 yards, but he can also apparently bomb his putter as well. This is from 96 feet at the 18th for birdie. DeChambeau at six under, currently tied for sixth. He's right there. Scotty Scheffler, just 24. Corn Ferry Tour winner last year, and he is in the hunt. Birdie's the 17th. He's at eight under. That's where he finished. He's currently second. Brooks Kepka's won this tournament the last couple of years. He sinks the birdie, got to minus eight, but he has lost a couple of shots since then. Hao Tong Lee from China, 36-hole leader, putting from the fringe. And this will go in for birdie. Got to nine under, but he struggled a bit. Has dropped to five under. It's windy and cold in San Francisco as they finish into the early evening. Dustin Johnson, though, is alone at the top. Rolls in the birdie. To get to nine under, he's got the lead of five under 65, one sh- shot ahead of Scotty Schiffler and Scheffler rather and Cameron Champ. Adam Hadwin tied 35th at one under after shooting 70 today. That are just finishing up their round right now. Canadian Elite Basketball Tournament semifinal: Fraser Valley Bandits out of Abbotsford and Hamilton Honey Badgers. This went down to the wire, playing that Elam ending rule where there's a target score. First team to 76 today wins. 
Uh, Yanis Managa with the three-pointer makes it 73-70. And then Olusi Ashalu with the offensive board and put back gave the Bandits a one-point lead. Hamilton came back to take a one-point lead, but Bandits with a chance for the win. It's Ashalu again in dramatic fashion. Fraser Valley Bandits will play for the CEBL championship tomorrow versus the Edmonton Stingers. Major League Soccer has announced plans to keep its season going once its tournament in Orlando concludes on Tuesday. Clubs will play six matches in phase one of the return, but as of right now, the league does not have dates for the Whitecaps, Montreal Impact, and Toronto FC. Likely, they will play each other three times in the next month or so. MLS playoffs begin November 20th. The MLS Cup will be decided December 20th. Blue Jays and Red Sox with a 4-7 and seven record. The Jays are. Red Sox not much better at 5-8. and eight. Bottom of the second, Christian Vasquez with the base hit up the middle. A rare low-scoring game at Fenway right now. one nothing Boston in the seventh. And... Uh, I guess it's good to see that baseball is still going. You saw the player at the mask there. They have certainly had their issues not being in a bubble, but uh, so far, I guess, they're keeping going, and the Blue Jays playing tonight. We'll have finished highlights of that tonight at 11. What is it they say one person's junk is another person's treasure? Well, there's a whole lot of both up for offer this weekend. Have a look. This just may be the world's biggest yard sale with everything bargain and treasure hunters could ever want. It is nearly 700 miles or more than a thousand kilometers worth of bargains running from Michigan to Alabama, mostly along Highway 127. It's an annual event, but the pandemic has changed the procedures for it, like everything else. Vendors at one spot say about half the shoppers so far have been wearing masks and practicing physical distancing. The yard sale runs through Sunday. That would be fun, I have to admit. I, would, I think I would enjoy that. I think more junk than treasure. <laughs> Probably, glance. like every yard sale. <laughs> um, okay, remember how excited you were the first time you saw snow? Probably not. Uh, but a little pup in Australia is having a tough time containing his excitement. Have a look. Where are you going? Oh my goodness, Frank the Cavoodle, not sure what that is, got a case of the zoomies when he saw the flakes at his home in Melbourne this week. The blast of Arctic air brought wintry conditions to the region on Tuesday. It is winter there, but uh, snow in that region is rare. What a cutie. So cute. So cute. No snow in the forecast for us, Yvonne. No, just some sunshine and it warms up, especially for Sunday, Monday. We'll feel the heat into the interior as well. So pretty good for nice. the latter half of the weekend. Thank you. And that is the news hour for tonight. Jordan's here at 11. Thanks for joining us. Have a good evening.